Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. I know a lot of you are, are saying, what can I do? I'm just a little punk. I don't count. Well, you're dead wrong. The little punks have always counted because in the long run, the character of a country is the sum total of the character of its little punks. But we've all got to get in there and pitch. We can't win the old ball game unless we have teamwork. And that's where every John Doe comes in. It's up to him to get together with his teammate. And your teammate, my friends, is the guy next door to you. Your neighbor, he's a terribly important guy, that guy next door. You're going to need him, and he's going to need you, so look him up. If he's sick, call on him. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's out of a job, find him one. To most of you, your neighbor is a stranger, a guy with a barking dog and a high fence around him. Now, you can't be a stranger to any guy that's on your own team. So tear down the fence that separates you. Tear down the fence, and you'll tear down a lot of hates and prejudices. Tear down all the fences in the country, and you'll really have teamwork. Dan. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You know how the podcast works. I took another stab at picking this week. Dan, what are we doing? Meet John Doe. I happened to see this again, uh, and I was totally blown away. It reminded me of some other stuff that we've done for the podcast. But first, I want to get your overall take, Dan, since since I picked. What did you think of seeing this movie? Well, I'd seen it before, but like you, I think I hadn't seen it in years and years and years. It popped up on Criterion. You know, it's Frank Capra, 1941. You texted me and said, hey, I just watched Meet John Doe. You should watch it again. And I said, sure. And that very day, I watched it. And I was so glad... It, it, I'm so glad you 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 turned me on to this again because I'm, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, how come I don't watch this more often? How come I don't watch this every year? It's such a great movie. And you said it, you just said it reminded you of a couple other things we've done. This reminded me of four things we've done or four other movies. And I just want to go through them in like reverse order of importance. All right? Go for it. So the first is Julius Caesar. We've done an episode on Manka, which is Julius Caesar, right? The swing, how fast the crowd sways. That That's a great thing I thought of. It also reminded me of the best years of our lives. That that one escapes me. What do you mean? This absolute suspense over what somebody is going to say in front of a microphone when he has to give a speech. That's true. All right. I, I wasn't thinking along those lines, but that's true. And the last two kind of go together. One was, we have not done an episode on this, but it's the short story, A Hunger Artist by Kafka. Do you know that story? Yes. So the first sentence is something close to, um, in recent years, professional fasting has fallen out of favor. And it's about this guy that people, they pay to watch him starve himself to death. And it's and that reminds me also of the last thing is network. Watching this again reminded me absolutely of network, which we have done an episode on. But the Kafka and the um, 
Patty Chayefsky go together, I think, because they're both about, you know, people, people absorbing or people being fascinated with something horrific and using that to, to get a bunch of ratings. I mean, Gary Cooper is like Howard Beale in this movie where they, he, he got, we're, got this guy's going to kill himself and all the, like the, the worst elements in people are going to come forward. Is he going to do it? Is he not? And they actually want to engineer the whole thing. Remember they want to have people standing outside the building when he does it, but that's a way to boost circulation or, or you can call it, um, now you can call it likes, you can call it eyes on screen because it's the same thing, how much it predicts social media. But I think it's very much like network, don't you? I, I do. That's That's the movie that I had in mind and largely for the, for the same idea, right? That the, the, the guy's going to jump off the building first. He's going to tell you though, everything he thinks about you and what people are reacting to is they, at first they're reacting to the suicide, you know, um, it, there's open jobs waiting for him. People say, no, 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 don't, don't do it. Some people are just waiting for him to do it. Right. But the premise is I'm going to tell you what I really think of you before I do it. And he starts to say, things that people keep inside that are socially unacceptable. But if I were no longer going to be in this society, if I were departing this society, that it would be okay to say. And I, I think it's it's interesting that a lot of the speech that actually moves the crowd comes from uh the father's letter. Yeah. You know, that that's that's left over. That's a, that's an interesting plot point of somebody who has is, is also leaving society. And so I hate I hate society as a word because it's very it's it's very difficult it's very nebulous uh but there's a clear delineation it's something like um you know it's something like the forest of arden which is kind of like everything that's not society and then there is you know when you're when you're in it there are things that are unacceptable there are ideas that are only acceptable if you're out of it or you're going to leave it for whatever reason or there's there's things that we can only allow the dead to say or the soon to be dead to say for what for whatever reason all Walter Brennan. You have to be on the outskirts because Walter Brennan walks around like like um, Tiresias telling the truth about everything, but nobody listens to him because he sleeps under a bridge. Well, it's it's not just that. It's that there's there's a deep cynical streak in him, which is almost too far, right? So I think that the, the beauty of his character is he delineates the other opposite edge. It's like the edge of the forest of Arden. And there's things, but there's things that happen <laughs> between... There's a suspension of real life until Christmas because that's when he's going to jump. And in the suspension of real life, miracles can happen for for whatever reason. But these miracles are very different than your classic Christmas movie right. miracles because the deeper truths here are they are platitudes, but they're they're powerful platitudes. This is Capra's other movie where a guy's going to kill himself on Christmas Eve. And, and it never gets put together with It's a Wonderful Life, but, you know, as a movie full of platitudes, another movie which I love, but that same thing about how um, everything has to be in suspension until Christmas. And Christmas is going to be the climax point. Why? Because that's supposed to be when everything's forgiven. That's supposed to be the happiest day of the year. We've already done The Sting. We said it was the happiest movie released on the happiest day. But certainly there's this buildup to that where everything's supposed to be made right. And What's fascinating about the movie is that, and again, back to network, is that it's a lie. And even though, even the premise for the radio speech, remember, you said it was her father's letters that she got. So she didn't write that either because her mother says it's got to be something hopeful. You can't just be a crank like on the radio or something, right? So even at that, which is fascinating, even the thing she writes for Honest John Doe to say isn't her idea. But like network, what happens is that the guy that they start to use as a machine actually starts to believe it. Actually, that's wrong because, because Peter Finch always does believe it. Um, but Gary Cooper just reading a script, right? But he actually starts to believe in these ideas or maybe they tap something in him that he never thought about before. 
I was going to ask you, what what do you make of those platitudes? Do you buy any of it? Yeah, um, maybe maybe only when I'm watching the movie because it's easy to because the people in it are so likable. And, you know, if Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper start saying it, I'll pretty much, you know, if they told me what kind of car to buy, I would do it. But I was thinking about, you know, the John Doe clubs. There's 18 houses on my street. I actually stood on my driveway before this morning. There's 18 houses on my street. I know maybe like three or four of the people there. I've only been inside one of my neighbor's homes and I've lived on the street for 20 years and I'm a super nice guy. You know, my, my kids have gone up and down the street a million times. Um, that was about five years ago. So I think when he was talking about that, I'm like, yeah, that's like, I'm like, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. One thing that struck me that, that really bothered me is I can imagine enjoying seeing this movie in the theater. But of course, like everybody now, I watch this movie streaming alone in my house and it's, it's somehow... I felt like, and we've we've come to this a couple of times with different with different comedies with uh, Preston Sturgis, um, most recently, and then w when we when we spoke about the Sting. But I was thinking about the communal effect of film, yeah, and how that's right. That's not an element anymore, but that seems to be what John Doe is getting at, right? Yeah. The, if if I could put the platitudes into a sentence, the world would be a better place if we took the time to laugh together and take care of one another's problems. You'd have you have more than enough manpower a person power to t tackle problems if we tackle them together, but we choose not to for whatever reason. And why is it that we choose not to? Well, that was my question for the end was that we do choose not to. So there's the guy sourpuss and they're like, yeah, we thought he was just a grouch. And so we learned his whole story. And I love how they give all their neighbors like shorthand names. So we all do that for our neighbors. I'm like, like down the street from me, you know, who lives down the street from me? Um, the lady with the curly hair. Like that's her name to me, the lady with the curly hair. I don't know her name, but so we give we give kind of like shorthand names to people. And I thought to myself, I was going to ask you this at the end. Why don't we? Right. So we'd all be better if we were like the people in the John Doe clubs like that. Those those are platitudes, but they're also you can't watch this movie and not long for that. I'm like, yeah, we don't talk to each other. And I thought to myself, well, it's because of social media. It's because of the very engine that makes the John Doe phenomenon happen also now keeps us inside of our homes. And I don't know if it's laziness or selfishness, because it takes a lot of guts to go up to your neighbor and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Dan. You know, I made you, I made you a pie. Um, and I thought the same thing. And I don't have an answer for that of why we don't act more like that. I don't know. It's, it, but I think it's, it's gotta be a symptom versus an underlying cause. I think, I think social media is a symptom, meaning if you don't grow anything in your garden, you get weeds. And so, the, but the weeds aren't really to blame. There's some underlying practice that's to blame. And I think that the the movie has its own romance to take care of. The movie has its own gimmicks to take care of. It's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is very good. And it does work every every time you turn it on for whatever reason. They, they get away with stuff that you wouldn't get away with now. Like when they're playing fake baseball in the hotel room, that, that just struck me as the kind of thing that you couldn't get away from with it's just a little it's a little extra thing for whatever reason that makes the scene work they could be doing a million things but but that shtick works and then the the guy who's supposed to be guarding them leaves and goes out into the hall runs into the other guard and the other guard says what's the score and for whatever reason that's that wouldn't that wouldn't work but it does work and i think what the the movie's trying to tell you is that there's a sort of mentality where even if it's fake baseball, if you buy into fake baseball, you ask things like, what's the score? Like it, there are games played for invisible stakes, but they become real in that we participate in them. But for whatever reason, we choose not to participate. And I, I don't understand yeah. why. We, we don't participate in the game of love thy neighbor.
Okay, welcome back. So in part two, of course, we always talk about our key scenes. Dan, what do you got? Before we do that, I just want to close up what we said about network. And I want to talk about, oh, well, let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, how great Gary Cooper is in this movie and what you said about the fake baseball, that shouldn't work. You know what else shouldn't work? No movie with this many speeches in it should be as compelling as it is, right? You should get bored after a while, you but, should. For after one, the, but for whatever reason, you don't. After the third speech, you should be like, all right, enough, right? But you don't. It's really And Gary Cooper is really compelling as, as, a, as a politician without politics. And I thought to myself how nobody else could play that part. Like imagine Jimmy Stewart nope. played played that part. He couldn't do it because he he comes across as too smart and he can come across as too world-weary. Cary Grant would be like totally wrong. He's, he's, he's earnest. Yeah, yeah. Cary Grant is totally wrong. But Gary Cooper is just, you. Believe, and I think the baseball scene, that's why he's a baseball player because that's like an American thing. All I have to do is go to the sawbones and get my arm fixed and I'll be, I'll be you know, back in the swing of things. So my moment has to do earlier what we said about Walter Brennan about the colonel. He says earlier in the movie, um, you know, I don't read any papers. I don't listen to radios. I already know the world's been shaved by a drunken barber and I don't have to read it. That that's exactly like I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. He says the thing that we might think, but don't walk around saying. And that's why I said he's kind of like Tiresias. Um, My moment has to do when he starts talking about the helots and he gives a speech on that. Now, that reminds me very much of Thoreau, who I know you've read, who we both admire, right? And who's the same kind of crank and a pain in the neck like Walter Brennan is. Thoreau has two things it reminded me of in this movie. He says, somewhere in Walden, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can let alone, right? So your possessions actually, a lack of possessions actually makes you more rich. And he has a whole speech about, first you get the car, then you need tires, then you need insurance, then you need gas and all those things, right? And there's also a great moment, probably my favorite moment in all of Thoreau's writing is when he talks about buying a lump of quartz for his desk. Do you know this story? Tell it to me. He gets a lump of quartz as a paperweight. And then once he realizes he has to dust it a couple of times a week, he throws it out the window. And of course, I think that's great because every time I have to clean the exterior of the stainless steel garbage can I bought from my kitchen, I think of Thoreau's Rock. And I'm like, why did you buy yourself another errand? Why did you buy yourself another thing? Because you had to have the stainless steel garbage can. So I think when Walter Brennan talks about those things, I think they they strike us as, as very... Um, real and I nod along. However, I do not want to go live under a bridge. And I don't think the answer is then to go be a, like a hobo riding a boxcar is playing your harmonica where he says he wants to go to the Columbia River Valley. I just think he has a point about possessions and what they do to us. Yeah, I, I it's 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 got to be some kind of tincture. It's kind of like tea, right? You, you Nobody drinks just hot water, right? But if you let it, but if if you let it steep too long, it becomes too bitter. And I think that that's why he's kind of a he's a counterweight to the the people that are worried that they won't be able to have right. You you have a a young woman reporter who you find out is supporting her family, which makes her ultimately sympathetic. Like that's the ultimate counterweight right. is that she's just trying to take care of her mom, right? She's worried about money. Then you have people that are worried about global control, <laughs> and right. And then you have Gary Cooper just he just wants to pitch again. And then you have a man who wants nothing and it, and it doesn't work quite right. You know, and there are many things about Thoreau, just to use an example, is that most people don't realize how close that clearing is to Boston, how easy it is to walk, that he borrowed the land, right. And and that he did it for two, three years and then went back to society as we know it. However, there is some kind of suitable tincture between wanting every right between wanting everything and wanting nothing 
and but I think that he has a cynical vision that the film does not support either, which is that you, attachments are weaknesses, but but to be without any attachments is a weakness. Right. And I, I think that the the film articulates at least that very clearly in the way that it treats the colonel. If I asked you now, this is off the top of your head, give me tell me some possessions you have, like actual physical things you own that like you like. Um, you know that I drive a very beaten up old truck and I love my beaten up old truck. Um, and I have a lot of paperbacks and I, uh, I have them inventoried so I know which ones, uh, that I have or don't have. Um, I, I don't know if our listeners care, but I watch all my movies on a projector. So I have a projector in the house that I use to watch our movies. And, uh, that's what the, yeah, that's what I like. So there are physical things that bring us joy. There are physical things that bring us happiness, even just because they exist. Um, I've known you for a long time. You are not going to reread a lot of those paperbacks, but you're not going to get rid of them. And if I said to you, Mike, that's totally illogical. You'd be like, yeah, I know. I just want them. I just like having them. So, but if you're like Walter Brennan and you're like, you're never going to own a single thing, right? That seems to be like, wait a minute. Like you've lost your balance the total other way. You don't have to be DB. DB in the movie is just like Ned Beatty in Network, isn't he? Right. And the and they but they serve two opposite ends of the spectrum. At one point the colonel right. says to him, Why well, I bet you ain't heard a train horn in two weeks. And that right at, and he means that as an admonishment because you're you're living you're you're living some kind of solid life. And there's right. but there there's some happy medium, but the film does not articulate exactly where it is or point, you know, here be gold. It doesn't tell you, but it tells you what not to do, or it shows you some negative examples. So what's your moment? Uh, my moment is uh, when uh, she's trying to type up the speech and there's you you see that there's there's paper everywhere. And it was so easy for her, right? That's a counter to the first time when she was inventing John Doe, because it's much easier. If, if you want to wag the finger at life, it's much easier to wag the finger. She has no problems uh, articulating the problems of the world and everybody, right. Everybody who reads the story nods along. So she invents this guy who's going to commit suicide because there's everything wrong with the world. And, and secretly she's doing it to benefit herself and her family, but everything, everything that she does, right. When she, when she passes sentence on the world, we all nod in agreement and we say, yes, everything that you've just said is true. But when you gather a crowd together and the crowd says, okay, now what do you want us to do? You told me what not to do. What should I do? And you find crumpled paper everywhere because she has because she has no idea. She can't get it quite right. And I think that that is essentially this is an overused phrase. It's like society, but that's that's ultimately the human condition. You know, there's something's not right with me, and something's not right with the world. And between me and the world, something's seriously not right. It's like okay, we we agree. What should we do? Uh, you know, and you, you just, you could fill up notebooks with what to do, but ultimately you'd just be filling up notebooks. You'd just be throwing away paper. So what, what is it that you ought to do? And I think that the, the film gives you one Capra-esque vision of what you should do, which is knock on your neighbor's doors. But the problem is that there's a problem with you and with them and the things that you put together temporarily, they fall apart very easily and they, they, crumple away and so i i think that this film this film is like somewhere between 
a Christmas Carol and the Lord of the Flies, right? They're, they're, they're definitely there's something wrong with us. Definitely, it's impossible to achieve a lasting vision. Be like, well, I changed. That's it. But there's there's a spectrum of truth somewhere in between, and and I think that the film is very interested in in balancing and counterbalancing. Bob Dylan has a terrific song called Everything's Broken, but he never wrote one called what? Everything's Fixed. Welcome back to our conversation about Meet John Doe. At the end, we like to talk about the title or the ending. Mike, what do you got? There was one twist in this movie that even I was not prepared for, no matter how many times you see it, which is that DB and his whole crew are waiting on the roof to see if he's actually going to jump. And... He's cl- he's clearly going to jump to actually make a statement to people to sh- to show them that this was not for his own benefit, and he tells them, "I have you outwitted because I'm going to jump and my body will be down there." And they say, "Aha, we've taken care of that. There will be no body." And I somehow I I, I find that line devastating, and I'm not really sure why. Like you ex- you expect snidely whiplash evil, you expect global media domination, you expect rich people on both sides to buy papers or buy, you know, social platforms or communication platforms or whatever. But the the idea that somebody was going to sacrifice themselves, but the but the body would be missing and the truth would be obscured, I find just hit me like a hammer. What's your take on that? I think that that's perfect. I mean, it's it definitely is an up the game or up the ante moment that like the first time you see network to keep going back to that. And you realize the first time you see network, you almost wish you could forget this and watch the movie again cold the first time when it dawns on you and you're like, they're going to kill him on TV. They're, they're going to kill him on TV for the biggest rating things ever. So it's kind of like that. It's like it's like just when you think these people have hit the bottom, then you think, oh, man, there's there's plenty more bottom to go. And I, I find that there's some kind of underlying religious structure to that to that story, you know, that they're going to that they're someone's going to sacrifice themselves. There will be right, a body. Right. We're going to hide the truth about the body and we're going to spread the lie instead. So nobody will ever find out and we can dampen the the efficacy of that sacrifice. But I find that it's never clearly articulated, but it's obvious what Capra's views are. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that he mutes them for whatever reason at least in this film they're not as muted in it's a wonderful life but it's but it's kind of mm-hmm. because they're you know the the blinky stars are very silly mm-hmm. no matter what you think of the film that, that's silly um but it's obvious what he thinks but why do you think it's not that clearly articulated because i i think i'll give you an example like the john doe clubs right are tr- the the john doe clubs are churches Right, right. right. The, the John Doe Creed is basically the Sermon on the Mount, right? Is like forget, yes. for, forget all Love. the religious whatever. If you, you know, if you take well, care of your fellow, poor. blessed are the poor. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you what do you make of the non articulated religious vision? Is what I mean because it it keeps cropping up. It's not just one or two elements. It's like the whole thing, but it it never punctures the. That wall. I think that's I think that's a good testament to Capra that he doesn't puncture the wall that it's there right and it's funny I wasn't even talking about that but since you bring it up you know the the John Doe clubs are like churches but they're also like you know um, groups of Swifties now it depends on what your church has gathered to worship like so what do, so the Swifties gather and they all worship Taylor Swift and and that and and almost in a quasi religious thing I'm sure there's some sociologist right now hard at work typing faster than Barbara Stanwyck on a computer somewhere. To <laughs> write a peer-reviewed paper about how the Swifties have all these religious dimensions as, as if that wasn't obvious. Um, 
But I think that what's interesting about the movie is it doesn't push it all. And I think when it gets to the breaking point at the end, you said before, then what's the answer, right? So then, so we the fingers are wagged and we're not told what we're supposed to do. Everything is broken, nothing is fixed. Howard Beale and Network says, um, I don't know what the answer is, but first you've got to get mad. That's all he has is anger. Oh, first you've got to get mad, right? So there's all this anger. I think at the very end of this movie, which I know was filmed in a number of different ways, there were all the kinds of different endings that they kicked around. I think the solution is, and this might be a platitude in itself, but the solution is love. The solution is love. That's why when she runs up to him and she's like, don't do it, don't do it. We'll still have the John Doe clubs. We'll, we'll go back, but you don't have to die for it. So it's like, it's, I guess the movie, if you ask me, gets to have it both ways. You get to have the, 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 the greatness come out of your noble sacrifice, but you don't have to make it. I, I think normally when I would say that someone gets to have their cake and eat it too, I think I, I mean that in sort of a snide way, but I don't hear for whatever reason. Yeah, I think no, I don't at all. I'm glad I, I think me. I think that the the film doesn't need too sharp a point, but it's it's like cutting culture, but with kid scissors. You know what I mean? They're not they're not as pointy as they could be yeah. for whatever. They're like it, this movie is safety scissors. This movie is safety scissors. Network is Sweeney Todd's razor blade, <laughs> right, right? aimed aimed right for the throat, aimed right at uh, your throat. And what's your take on the ending? So the, my take on the ending is I want to go back and ask you a question about what you said before. So one of my favorite quotes you've heard me say a million times is by Picasso. All art is a lie that helps us see the truth more clearly, right? So Hamlet never existed. Shakespeare doesn't care about Denmark, but but we still read Hamlet because it's true, right? Hamlet's a lie. The guy never lived. This movie dramatizes that. There is no John Doe. We created him from whole cloth, then he gets inhabited just as if Barbara Stanwyck is Shakespeare or something. So John Doe is a lie. Everyone learns he's a lie. And that's okay. Because he still says a truth. I want to go back and ask you that question though. Like, why can't we become like members of the John Doe Club? What's stopping us? You can you can take the title of the movie as Meet John Doe, as in I'm going to tell you a story about John Doe. Or you can take it as an imperative. And I think our refusal to hear it as an imperative is the reason why we can't be like them. You and like I think surely that, they're talking to someone else. <laughs> meet right. John Doe means anybody, right? right. Meet oh, the, yeah. the anonymous right. man, right? Meet John Doe. That's Go what right. That's, that's the answer. That's what I'm telling you to do. That's what the movie is telling you to do. Uh, and for whatever reason, I again, I think I think that there's a communal aspect to the theater where that would be where that would be easier. But there is something about us that we, you might feel good in the in the dark, but as soon as the lights come up and you can see your annoying neighbor who is opening candy, you're doing the myriad things that we know annoy you in the theater that you, for, for whatever reason, you don't turn and say, that was a good movie, huh? I went to see The Godfather once at a revival house and uh, I was there alone and it was sold out and I'd seen it for the hundredth time and I was sitting with some little lady. And when the movie's over, she looked at me and I said, oh, can I help you? She goes, that was a really good movie. And I said, really? Oh, yeah, it's great. I go, you had never seen The Godfather before? She had to be 80 years old. She goes, I've heard about The Godfather my whole life, and I never saw it. And I said, today I'm going to go see it. And then she, we had this like 10-minute conversation that I remember 15 years ago when she was like, who could believe? I can't believe what happened with the horse. And then she's, go she's going to the whole movie. And it was so funny and charming that I didn't want to cut her off. And you're right, we, but we don't do that when we go to see anything. And, and for whatever reason, I think even I had to say, you have to say the title out loud till you hear it, right? Meet John Doe. That's how I read it. That's how you read it. If we made a movie about whatever character, right? We would just say, meet whoever. But meet John Doe as an imperative 
is that's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to carry out in practicality. But I think that's the beauty, the beauty of platitudes and the thing that that frustrates us about platitudes, right? Is that, well, um, how could I be healthier? Um, Diet and exercise. It's like, oh, do you have a, you got anything else in there? You got like, uh, I heard there's a thing you can do with apple Isn't cider vinegar. Pill? Like if, yeah. if I take a shot of uh, apple, it's like, and yeah, if you want to be healthier though, just diet and exercise. And it's like, right. oh man, that sounds, that's rough. Right. And it's like, <laughs> I, I'm, I recognize that the world is broken and I'll go a step further. I am one of the broken things about it. So I'm not just casting aspersions on everybody else uh, that it's, there's something about me that I'm contributing that to the world. How could I counterbalance that? Meet John Doe. Ooh, it's like, oh, you got you got anything else in there? I don't, I don't know about that one. That's a tough one. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about, how do we say the title now, Mike? Meet John Doe. You could follow us on Twitter or now X at 105MINFILM. You could follow us where? Letterbox. Letterbox. Let us know what to watch next. We hope you enjoyed it. Keep the requests coming. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.